Good afternoon, this is Gary Cavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday the 14th of the 7th. Michael, how have you been since last we spoke? I've been very well, Gary. Thank you very much. To start with, Michael, we've talked before on the show about um, private polling in political parties. I think you said that 9 out of 10 private polls that have been leaked to the media don't exist at all. <laughs> Roughly. I mean, that's a rough number, yeah. Or you might have seen with some interest, Michael, the recent story in the Irish Times about what voters see when they look at Fianna Fáil. Yes, indeed. It's a very fine uh, piece of research there. Yeah, I mean, according to the Irish Times, says this is private research carried out by senior figures within Fianna Fáil. And according to this research, voters perceive Fianna Fáil as divided. They say there are very damaging splits in the parliamentary party. They say the party is in a uh, turmoil and that this is damaging their vote. One minister told the Irish uh, Times, the stuff at the parliamentary party, it's very damaging. The Irish Times says that is referring to the leaking of the weekly meetings of party TDs, which, as we had said before in the show, are now basically live streamed. Yeah, I... I adverted uh, in the, the, our last podcast to the fact that this research was being done. Uh, I just slightly amused by the fact that the people that were telling me about this said, now, this is very much uh, hush-hush. It hasn't been talked about at all. We, it's all very much undercover. And within a day or so of it, it's the details are out there in the, in the Irish Times. So it was obviously top secret. Yeah, I suppose the headline of this could be, Gary... Poll commissioned by leadership of Fianna Fáil says people find criticism of leadership of Fianna Fáil very bad and damaging for party. And that could lead some people to be more sceptical than they should otherwise be about this. I will, however, say that the idea that there are people out there who are paying enough attention to Twitter to notice the fact that people are live-tweeting the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meetings and that the fact that there are lively discussions and points of disagreement and criticism of the leadership occurring with that and that has led sufficient numbers of the ordinary voting public to look at Fianna Fáil and say no out of the many choices I have available to me as a voting consumer I am not going to pick Fianna Fáil because they are a divided party I find this idea to be it is to laugh the number of people who are paying that much attention to this outside of sad beltway folks like me, you and the people who listen to this podcast, I think are in oh, in single digits. And of the number then that are actually, who are listening and then are put off for Fianna Fáil because of this, because they discover that during, in, in, during Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, meetings people are criticizing the leadership and shall we say let's face let's face it it tends to be principally one person is criticizing the leadership and that's that's the problem that's the reason that people are not voting for Fianna Fáil this falls under the category of yeah that's a good one tell me another yeah I, I thought this so we have the by-election worst showing in Fianna Fáil's history and then within a couple of days this research leaks showing that actually the problem is that Fianna Fáil isn't coming behind Michal Martin enough. Yes, polling and focus grouping. You can't beat a good focus group. No, particularly if you want a particular answer. Yeah, you can't beat a poll unless uh, when you have to be careful of how you ask the questions, of course. 
polling is more difficult to rig than a focus group, but you can do both. Well, if you want to. If you actually want to find something out, that would be a different story. Yeah, but let's say you wanted a piece of research, Michael, in your back pocket that you could, if things went badly, whip out to so actually you're not the problem, it's everyone else. Gary, we should, we should also point out, neither of us actually seen this polling, nor have we seen the reports in the focus group. What we have seen are reports from the leadership of Fianna Fáil about what is in the polling and what is in the reports of the focus group, or the leaks on the basis of what's in it. The fact is, it may have actually been a perfectly decent and reasonable and honest piece of research. And it may actually have lots of other findings in it that they have decided don't need to be leaked, that are not the kind of thing that the public really is interested in or the Irish Times should need to report on. There may be all sorts of interesting nuggets in there that they have discovered, but nuggets they didn't feel that it was opportune at this moment in time to share with the wider public. I mean, it's not like they have anything to fear anyway. I've been looking at some of the Finifal TD's responses to the terrible showing they got. Yeah. I mean, O'Callaghan says he won't sign a petition to get rid of Martin. Mm-hmm. Mark McSherry is sharing the sorts of quotes and images that make it seem like he's a middle-aged woman drunk on wine. <laughs> oh, God, we've lost the middle-aged woman vote there anyway, but go on. Mark McSherry shared an image which was of, I think, a chicken and an egg and a line about how great things do not come from outside but rather come from within. Yeah, I th- I know the one. I think it was just an egg and the line was something about great things happen not when you break the egg, the shell from the outside but from when the, when the shell is broken from the inside, great things happen. And then we had McGrath saying that uh, he gave a list of reasons that Martin couldn't be taken down at the, or can't be taken down at the minute, one of which was the need to fight climate change. That was my personal favourite. We can't get rid of Michal Martin as leader of Fianna Fáil because of climate change. Michal Martin is necessary to save the world. My personal favourite actually was James Lawless. James Lawless <laughs> said, what Fianna Fáil needs to do to get out of this is it needs to learn to lead digitally in a digital age. Okay, Gary, explain to me in words of not more than two syllables what the fuck that means. I don't think it means anything. I think it is a random assortment of words no more meaningful than a dog barking. Now, if he means whoever is in, far, in charge of running Fianna Fáil's social media should be taken out behind the barn and shot with his 22 behind the ear, well then I think, yes, he may have a point. But I don't think that is what he means. Uh, I have no clue really what it means. I think you may be right. It's just a random assortment of words issued into the air and then floats away onto the ether. And then we have Thomas Byrne out there saying that nothing can ever be compared to Nazi Germany and every comparison made diminishes the memory of that unique evil and the slaughter of millions of Jews. And we must continue, Michael, to remember the absolute horror and terror of the Holocaust to ensure it can never happen again. That was a quote, apart from the part where I said your name because it wasn't that personal. No, no, I, 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 I guessed as much, Gary. But, Gary, is it at all possible that you're now about to follow up that quote with another quote on social media from, in fact, Thomas Byrne? 
the first thing I would have done, Michael, if I had sent out something like that, would have been to see if I had ever compared anything to Nazi Germany in a sort of flippant fashion and then deleted it. Okay, okay, that's a good idea. That's a good piece of advice. In 2016, Mr. Byrne, or Deputy Byrne, shared an article called If It Talks Like a Hitler and Walks Like a Hitler, and which the front image on, Michael, is uh, Donald Trump with his hand up. Okay. And it's about why, the entire article is about why usually it would be wrong to compare someone to Hitler. But in Donald Trump's circumstances, Michael, absolutely reasonable. Cool. So, no double standards there. Mm-hmm. Because all he did was, what, share or like? Oh, he just shared it. Just shared it. He didn't actually. But then again, Michael, if every comparison made diminishes the memory of that unique evil and the slaughter of millions of Jews, and you share a comparison, are you not yourself then contributing to the diminishment of the memory of that unique evil and the slaughter of millions of Jews? Well, it depends, Gary. On his Twitter bio, does it say that shares or retweets are not necessarily endorsement? Because a lot of people say that. It doesn't. He probably forgot to put that bit in. Slipped through. With a single leap, he was free and gone. But no, that's unfortunate. So, yeah, the Finnafall is going to fuck this, pretty clearly. We When we did our thing on, whenever we did it, and uh, Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. And we speculated on what might or might not happen. And for around a day and a half, there, was, there were murmurings and rumblings and rumours and there's people were very angry and there's a push on and there's a heave and there's a hole. But the but then it all went, eh, but yeah, I mean, there's a problem, but it's a bit soon, and maybe we'll wait, and, you know, now is not the time. The situation is not opportune. I mean, honest to God, it was like listening, you know those lists of wonderful reasons why Sir Humphrey used to have for not acting? The time is not right, the situation is not up to, the question is not mature, the work has not been done. All very, very good reasons never to do anything. I was, I have to say, slightly knocked back when we had them queuing up to say not only were they not going to take him out, that he was going to lead them into the next election. Actually, do you remember there's a famous comment about the 1983 British Labour Party's manifesto when Michael Foote was the leader of the Labour Party and the Labour Party had swung, shall we say, a little bit to the left. And it was post-Falklands and minor strike and stuff, and maybe it wasn't the most opportune time for the Labour Party to be running from that position, but the manifesto was described as the longest political suicide note in history. Well, I have to say, a commitment that Michal Martin will lead the party into the next election does sound to me a bit like a suicide pact. However, maybe some of these people, Larry... Larry, Gary, are not telling the entire truth. Maybe some of them are actually thinking, we will take him out at some stage. We will drop him, but we, for the time being, this is what we're going to say. But by sometime next week, it could all be very different because, as Harry Wilson famously said, a week is a long time in politics. Barry Cowan is calling for everyone to get into one room. And, you know, the synod goes the wrong way. Maybe Martin leaves thing about getting everyone into one room is maybe nothing happens. Maybe someone says something they shouldn't have, and that sets someone else off. And before you know it, the knives are out. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's possible. I'm in no doubt of Fianna Fáil's ability to do nothing and be terribly, terribly shocked when things go badly. You know those, and this is not just here, it's everywhere in the world, when a political party takes an abs- takes a beating at an election, they always say, that, well, the problem was, no, 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 please let me finish, no. It wasn't what you're saying and it wasn't what they're saying. The real problem was we have all these wonderful ideas. We just were not communicating them properly to the voters. We didn't succeed in explaining what we're doing to the voters. Now, people may actually believe that at times when they say these things. But the reality is, no, the voters, generally speaking, understand pretty well what they're being told. They just decided, no, we don't want that. And I think that Fianna Fáil, if Fianna Fáil are still stuck in this notion that their problem is that they really just need to explain themselves more to the voters, that that's the problem. It's just a communications issue. It's a marketing issue. It, it's a media thing. It's a PR issue. As long as they're stuck in that mode, if they are stuck in that mode, well then, oh, it's time to play the last post and chorus and pull down the flag and let's all go home. Just on the um, on the whole, the, the burn thing and the Holocaust. Yes. Just a general PSA to people involved in politics. It is generally, not always, but generally inadvisable to compare anything to the Holocaust, the apartheid regime, or slavery. Those are the three things in Western politics you should not usually refer to things being akin to. You may occasionally have cause, but most of the time just assume you don't. Yes, I think if you're going to go to a any professional practicing politician and you're going to give them a piece of advice for what to do when they speak in public or they're using social media, say, okay, lads, no matter what the temptation is, no matter how apposite you believe the analogy to be, correct the metaphor you leave the holocaust apartheid and the experience the experience of uh african african americans and slavery you just leave that alone just you don't go there if you want to compare yourself to jesus you can do that if you want to call your enemy satan you can probably do that but these areas no Nobody is going to hear what you said and all you're going to do is spend the next five days explaining why and you'll just sound like some mad person because that's the way you'll be portrayed anyway. You can probably get away with calling an opponent a quizzling. That's about where I'd say the limit is. Yeah, I, I would advise against it because my guess is that 75% of people won't know what a quizzling is. But yes, you could do that. So Ma- this is obviously in relation to Matty McGrath made some comments about um, Nazi Germany. And the Holocaust. I actually haven't heard the original comments. All I have heard are people outraged about the comments, but not actually quoting what he said. You know the sort of said offensive comments about the Holocaust? But I don't think he actually was talking about the Holocaust. I, thought he was, I think he was talking, in my, in my understanding of what I read, and maybe I wasn't reading the actual things, the actual quote was that it was in reference to the the initial stages of uh, life in Nazi Germany, sort of 1933 feeling to it. And this was connected to indoor dining. But it doesn't matter, Gary. Now we're getting to fine details and fine points. The kind of thing you're never going to get away with. Because again, when you're explaining, you're losing. So Byrne comes out 
says that the comparison is diminishing the slaughter of millions of Jews. The Taoiseach comes out and talks about how the comparison should never be made. And I would just like to make this this small comparison of my own. And I know I said you usually shouldn't compare things to Nazi Germany or the Holocaust. But I said usually. I would say the actions of the Chinese Communist Party in Xinjiang are pretty directly comparable to the actions of Nazi Germany in a, like, you know, past the mid-1930s, in that kind of region. Yeah. And the Irish government, of which the Taoiseach is obviously a member of, and Thomas Byrne is a minister in, actively ignore the CCP's actions in Xinjiang for primarily economic benefit. And if we're talking about actions that, that diminish the memory of those who died in genocide, I don't really think you can compare a comment, no matter how offensive or inelegant or wrong the comment may or may not have been, Yes, with a country actively, and this is not something that's accidentally happened, the government and the Department of Foreign Affairs, this is a policy. We are willing to actively ignore a genocide because doing so economically benefits us and because we say to ourselves, well, there's nothing we can do. And you know what? That might kind of play if we weren't also currently implementing climate-related energy policies, which will have absolutely no impact on any climate-related issue because they're global, but will impoverish people in Ireland. So we're absolutely willing to do things to hurt ourselves in order to do the right thing, just not this right thing. Yeah, and we're. A, I, I haven't heard any large-scale condemnation of human rights abuses, for example, in Iran recently. Although we have been to Iran and we've exchanged, we've had friendly bilateral trade chats with them and exchanged friendly. I don't know. Did we have fist bumps or was it elbow bumps? I think it's just it's a wonderful example of how much of political morality and common morality is just accepted things to do. So the climate is obviously something that we have to take the hit on because not doing so is reprehensible and we've got to be the good people, Michael. But the genocide, that's, I mean, obviously we can do nothing about that. So there's no point doing anything about that. And that's just reasonable and sane. We can't do anything about the regime in Tehran being the active supporter uh, I mean, in, pract- in practical monetary and material senses of terrorist organizations in the Middle East and having an, uh, a public state of policy that calls for the extirpation of the state of Israel and the people living in it. However, we can jolly well te- call the Israeli ambassador in and give him a jolly good ticking off. So much of this is just there are opinions that are respectable and common sense and widely accepted. And there are those opinions which are crazy and ludicrous and on the face of them wrong. And I think a lot of the time people can't actually explain why there's a difference in those opinions. There was a song, I think in Sesame Street, I think it was, which was went something like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. And it seems to me that our, the, our ethical foreign policy is very like that song. But quite how one of these things is not like the other escapes me. But apparently one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. As regards the genocide in China, this is not just the opinion of two cranky people on a small podcast in Ireland. This is a, an opinion widely held by people expert in the area of genocide. In fact, involved in the definition of it. Uh, but there you go. China is very big, very important, very rich, 
big exporter, big investor. And they take offence easily. To be fair, Gary, to be fair, Gary, if you accuse, most people would be offended if you talk, if, if you accuse them of genocide. I mean, you, you would hope they would be. You know, it's not the kind of thing that most regimes will just shrug their shoulders. Yeah, whatever. I mean, that's the approach we take to it on the other side of it. Yeah, it is, yes. I still, my favourite is still, of course, the official position of, I think, was this Cork County Council or Cork City? Cork, uh, Cork uh, County Council, I think, yeah. So, you know, different countries, different systems, different value systems, different cultures, you know. What can you do? Can't go around making judgments, you know, just because something doesn't work with our value system, that kind of thing, yeah. But for those who are not familiar with it, so in September of last year, I think, uh, it turned out that Cork had a, Cork County Council had a friendship agreement with a Chinese province that was using forced labour. And I wrote about it and then I asked them for an opinion and they came back and said that um, there is a difference of values between Ireland and China. So we'll, we'll still remain friendly with them, even though they're using the forced labour, because it's all about accepting people, Michael. And what are you, some kind of bigot? Well, I'm reassured to know, Gary, that we have values. That's what I'm taking out of that. I'm going to be positive, Gary. I'm going to be positive and say that statement implies that we have values. Self-interest is a is a value, and it's a fine value. There was one thing I, I wanted to mention, and it's not a good medium for us to discuss this, because it's a video, but I wanted to mention it, and I will include a link to it, because I think it's important that people see it. This was a deep fake video created of Simon Harris uh, a couple of days ago, maybe two days ago at this point. And it's a 12-second long video, which is by far the best deep fake I have ever seen of any Irish political matter. Uh, for those who aren't aware... A deepfake video is a it's a method of not even editing videos as such, but creating them from certain raw materials. Now this is done the this has been edited both in appearance, but also the audio has been edited. And there's a couple of things off about it. The speed of it doesn't quite match uh, Simon Harris, but it's the sort of thing you could see someone doing if they were in you know bit of an emotive state. Mm -hmm. And he says some stuff that could be used. Um, to present him in a negative light, but is not so far outside the bounds of possibility that he wouldn't have said it, or he couldn't have said it. And I just, I think it's important to see, because I have not seen a video this well done of any Irish political figure, and even when I was looking into it for Gripped, I felt it was fake. Video, like It's kind of like sexing a chicken. I felt it was fake, but I couldn't prove it was fake. Okay. And now it's been noted that the, it's manipulated uh, media. For those who don't get that reference, there's a, a thing with sexing chickens where uh, manual laborers can actually sex chickens at a much higher level of accuracy and much quicker than machines can. And no one is really sure why. There's just a difference that people can tell. They just can't quantify what the difference is. They can tell, but it's not everybody can do it. You have to be trade. I, I remember reading, I don't know why I remember this, that Bernard Matthews, who's a very large poultry producer in Norfolk, particularly famous in the day for his turkeys, used to employ Vietnamese chicken sexers. And they came from families of people who knew how to sex chickens. And they were apparently incredibly efficient at this. Far, as you say, far more efficient than any machine or any technology could be. But I, there, there, is, there, is, there is something to it that they just, they know but uh, the, I think the average person would be left very much 50-50. And the kind of thing there is, I have spent so long seeing these people talk and reading what they're saying that 
you kind of get a sense that something doesn't quite match mm-hmm. with either how they would talk or, or the tone or it's just, it doesn't align perfectly. But if you showed this video to someone in the wild, I have no doubt it would convince them. It is fantastically done. Well, it's a useful warning if we if we needed one, that if you see something on the internet and you see a video, you see, well, let alone obviously still photographs, you, sadly, you just, you, you know, camera never lies. You absolutely cannot assume anything. And I think what's interesting about this was, at this point you were making, we we're talking off air about it, was, say, during the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the killing of Mr. Floyd and then the various riots afterwards and there were various shootings, there was the masses of bits of video hither and yon which all claimed to show definitively X, Y, or Z. And everybody was absolutely convinced because we all are full of our own confirmation bias. And when something comes along, which seems to tell the story that we want to tell, we will leap on and say, aha, there you see a video. It shows it absolutely clearly. And people kept sending me bits and pieces of video about this. And I said, I don't know what that says. I don't know what it is. I, I have no idea how many other cameras were available, what other angles were available. I don't know what happened before this started or after it's after it cut. I don't know if it's edited or not. I I have no faith in anything now that's uh, that I see on 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 the internet that is purports to tell a story, which is video. And God knows this has happened so many times that people have seen stuff on online that they immediately pile on. The most famous example, I suppose, was the uh, Covington boys thing, where they saw a piece of video and they all jumped and now have made a number of those Covington boys very wealthy indeed, the various defamation cases that have affected out of that. But what's curious about this, Gary, is the fact that it's not that kind of thing. This isn't something where you can say, oh, well, I don't know if there was another camera angle, I don't know what it would look like from this side or that side. It 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 purports to be simply the classic piece of departmental or government video clip to be put up on say on Twitter or on Facebook and the minister making a statement. And yes, you say there are a couple of things about it that are a bit off. But on the face of it, if you're not looking for it, it's really good. It really is. And that makes you think, what the hell? What's the future for this guy? Are we going to spend all of... What's, what's the point in putting up video in the video? People will look at it and say, well, is this real? Yeah, I mean, the thing there is that editing videos has been a staple of political communication and media presentations forever. And the media has used it to great uh, degree to make people look as bad or as good as possible, depending on how they're feeling towards them. But it's done in certain ways. You can tell when something has been edited. There will be frame skips. There may be audio distortions. They'll cut to different cameras. The thing about this technology is that, yeah, as you said, uh, and as we were talking about, you can present it in a way where to look at it, there is no room for trickery or for ambiguity. It is exactly as it must be. You know, no issues with it at all. And particularly the audio. Because syncing audio to, to facial features is a nightmare mm-hmm. if you're doing any kind of video editing. And that's always been a big problem for people trying to do things like this because it limits what you can do because you have to use some of the existing facial movements. This technology will just do what you want. And it is now at such a point where like a gifted amateur can do it without any really special equipment. Nothing that you can't get very easily. 
so yeah, I just wanted to make people aware of it and to to show them it. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll put a link to a, a tweet I put up about it saying, I think it's fake. And I've reached out to Finnegale for comment. And below that I have what the video I think it's based upon, which is this very mild video about uh, asking people to uh, sign up to talk about third level education or something. The standard nonsense. You're right. Finnegale, by the way, never got back to me to tell me if it was fake. Maybe they didn't know. Eh, maybe. Maybe they're bad at their jobs. Or maybe they've blacklisted uh, Gripped. Both are possible. We don't really reach out to the Finnegale press office. If we want to talk to Finnegale, we just go directly to the people we want to talk to. But I thought it was best I go through the press office as opposed to ringing Simon Harris. Yeah. Because I didn't imagine the conversation, hi, I'm from Gripped, <laughs> is going to lead anywhere good. <laughs> Click as the hang-up. Yeah, and then you're like, no, no, this time I'm trying to avoid you being hung. How the tables have turned. This appeared on, you know, one of the standard anonymous Twitter accounts. But I don't know where it came from. Did it come from Telegraph? Did it come from some of the, the active groups who would be interested in sort of this thing for pure divilment? Or where did it come from? And are we going to see more of them? Because if you were to take this clip and take the original video and edit this into it, and then you could just go, if you don't believe me, here's the entire source. You know, here's a two-hour video that you've just edited 12 seconds of, or however long a video. I think it would be pretty much impossible for the average person to trust anything they see or hear, other than this podcast. Other than this podcast, of course. <laughs> we are inimitable. Although if you hear anything from us outside of this podcast, this, the sort of technology this is, the more images you have of someone and the more audio you have of someone the easier it is to do and once you reach a certain level it's just very very easy to do Poli that's why politicians are prime targets because they appear so often on tv mm -hmm. it's so easy to gather material from them of their various body movements their language how they stand their facial structure and their facial motions probably not many politicians in ireland you couldn't do this to you could also do the audio to Iron Michael with trivial ease. Oh, that's a lovely notion. That's what I'm here to do, Michael. Afflict the comfortable. Not that comfortable, Gary. I think on, on the clothes, Michael. Cuba. And and more particularly, Sinn Féin in Cuba. I do, you know, you have to say, if you're going to commit, commit, stick with them, stick with them. And you have to admire that. There was a tweet from the Ogre Sinn Féin. No, admittedly, it's Ogre Sinn Féin, not Sinn Féin, but... Well, some of the Sinn Féin TDs have come out with something similar. Yeah, and it was lovely. I, it, because it gets everything. It's a, it's a gift to give everything. First of all, there's a photograph of Fidel with uh, Jerry. Um, and they look like they're having a right old time. Jerry's actually got a face on him in the, in the photograph. But maybe I'm just projecting here. Oh, God, please. Not another four-hour speech, Fidel. But he was a man that was... Um, even when he was old and infirm, his capacity to give speeches that made you feel like you were not an attending an attendee but a hostage were f was fantastic anyway Sinn Féin's tweet was there are efforts underway by US elements to create instability in Cuba as we speak the Cuban people stand with the revolution and its government Ogre Sinn Féin stands against imperialism and with the people of Cuba ni Cuba so I think that's that's fantastic. I love the language of it because it's right down the, that language is old-fashioned, paranoid, lefty stuff. U.S. elements, scary. That's that's that lovely language of it. 
these would not be the same elements who go to Sinn Féin dinners. No, no. Oh, God, no. The <laughs> no, I'll leave checks. All right, Cash. The Cuban people stand with the revolution and its, and its government because they know, Gary, they know what the Cuban people are. They have looked into their hearts like Dev used to do for the Irish people. Ogre Sinn Féin can do that. They can look into their hearts and know what the Cuban people want. Michael Collins dead. <laughs> ah, well, in fairness, I think yeah, it's funny. I have a conversation with somebody recently about that. F- fact is, I think Dev had fuck all to do with it because nobody was listening to Dev when they shot Mick Collins. However, other people seem to think that the people of Cuba don't necessarily stand with Cuba. Um, a mixture of, well, I think an unsurprisingly frail economy after years of democratic socialism, let's face it, it has yet to produce uh, any economy of great robustness or capacity to feed uh, its people's its people and provide them with their material needs. So the fact that Cuba's economy is not great is not a surprise. But this has been combined with COVID to produce apparent food shortages and severe spikes in food prices. Uh, shortages of basic food stuff, curbs on civil liberties, by the way. And the authorities handling the pandemic has come for criticism, which would surprise us all, Gary. Because as we know, Cuba has the best uh, medical uh, uh, healthcare system in the world. Odd then that they've only got 17% of their population vaccinated. It is odd. But uh, maybe they were doing something else. They were busy. Um, and of course, uh, something that is inevitably going to give rise to suspicion and also to confirm those suspicions is the fact that apparently uh, the demonstrators, and there are, apparent, are tens of thousands of them, some of them have been waving American flags, which, <laughs> which does seem like something of a provocation. It does. And added to that, you now have social media in Cuba since about 2018. They've allowed mobile internet. Um, have you seen the amount the US spends a year on YouTube ads in Cuba? No. It's a lot. Really? Yeah, the US spends tens of millions. I think in the lower, you know, maybe 20, 30 million, just buying ads on YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> just about how crap Castro is. The um, the Cuban government, for the last little while, has been allowing a certain amount of market activity in Cuba, some low-level entrepreneurial activities. And they have a, a list of prohibited self-employment activities. And it's curious that uh, amongst the prohibited activities are news agencies, radio transmissions, audiovisual and cinematographic productions, newspaper publishing, and any other telecommunication channels or products. Are jazz musicians still okay? <laughs> I don't know. Um, they tended to go more for your kind of salsa marimba kind of thing in Cuba, I think. I don't know if jazz was... Jazz was always regarded with a degree of suspicion in the... Uh, in the in the old the old Soviet bloc anyway, and along with rock and roll, of course. Well, they may as well get some music going since uh, Sunday the internet has been down. Has it? Yeah, the government apparently decided. You know what? Maybe this didn't work out for us. That old internet. Something has to be done about it. See, the problem with the internet is when you're someone who spends eight hours a day queuing for eggs. <laughs> and then America is spending tens of millions of dollars, being like here. 
Look at America. Lots of eggs. Like you could just walk into a store and buy many eggs. Many, many eggs. That is many monthly rations of eggs that you may, you know, get a bit pissed off. And apparently that is part of what is driving this. Young people just want a higher standard of living. Now, of course, though I would imagine Sinn Féin's point would be that sanctions against Cuba are why Cuba is so poor. Yeah. I would argue that a large part of why Cuba is so poor is the continent-spanning shadow war the Cubans have fought. Well, yeah, it must have cost a fair deal. To I mean, do you remember they were in they were all over Africa for a while, and they were certainly involved in South America. I mean, the cost of the engagement in Angola itself must have been fairly savage back in the days of the MPLA. I mean, the listener will not be old enough to remember the conflict in Angola, but I am, and the Cubans. Uh, of course, that was in the old days when the Russians were still in a, the Soviet Union, as it was, was subventing uh, the Cuban economy to a degree. I don't... It is one of the little mysteries of life, Gary, that we are still at a point where it's even necessary to have conversations with people about countries that run their economy along the principles of democratic socialism. And try and explain that no, it's not all about the CIA coming and stealing the toilet paper. That is not why your economy is up the shitter. But yet we do. The same people who back in the day were so enchanted with Chavez that they were talking about the incredible things he had done to lift people out of poverty and fundamentally change the nature of society in Venezuela and how tremendous work he was doing. And there we have Venezuela as it is today. But that wasn't real socialism, I suppose. It's always either the CIA stealing toilet paper or it's not real socialism. Or maybe sometimes a combination of both. One step closer to Cuba joining America. I'm sure there are, guys, there, there are people down in, my, in, in Miami who wouldn't be averse to the idea. Oh, oh, no, if that were to happen, Michael, we would have to go to Miami. <laughs> I mean, we, you would not have seen like a party like that. Those people, like, I, I remember going over to America for, there was a meeting of sort of Republicans and Libertarians and Conservatives just after we had issued that Che Guevara stamp. Oh, God, yeah. And let me tell you, those, Michael, those people are still very passionate about Cuba. Yes. The Cuban-Americans have not forgotten that. No. They were, shall we say, at least perplexed by our choice of stamp. Yes, there were you know, people who had like strong memories of Castro quite horrifically torturing their parents and grandparents. And they were like, why would you want that in a stamp? And you have to sort of go, I don't think you understand how cool the image is. So, yes, your family were tortured, but it's aesthetically very pleasing. And also, their, yes, their family was tortured. And in the context of where it was widely believed that, well, Castro, whatever Castro was... Guevara was a hell of a lot worse. And when it came to the old uh, shootings and killings and torturings and enjoying it, rather a li- rather too much, I suppose, at all is too much. Well, I mean, that is your problem with the revolution. What do you do with the people afterwards who you uh, have come to realise they really enjoy it? And the answer there is send them to another country and then suspiciously their location is found out and they get shot. By the way, if anybody's interested in this kind of stuff, there's an article in the Daily Beast, and I think we can say with confidence, Gary, that the Daily Beast is is not an organ of the far right. 
uh, describing uh, the experience of what it was like to be gay, what it has been like to be gay in Cuba under Castro. And it's not a pretty read, but I recommend anybody if you get onto your Google and open it up and have a read of it. It's it's worth having a it's worth informing yourself. And then again, what what's the point? I mean, the same people that are in LGBTQIA organizations and wrapping themselves in rainbow flags and marching uh, to support the revolution in Cuba are the same people that will set up uh, booths at university open freshers' days to invite people to support Hamas. Did you, on the Daily Beast, my favourite of their scandals, and for those who weren't aware, the, Amer- the Daily Beast is a, is a American tabloid kind of news site. Yeah. But my favourite controversy that they had was they published an article saying that the Taliban had entered uh, negotiations or were seeking to enter negotiations. I can't actually remember. Now, this would have been, you know, 2010, that kind of region, somewhere around then. But anyway, the Taliban lodged a complaint with them and said they had violated the basic principles of journalism. <laughs> and it, it, to my day, remains one of my the best statements I have ever read because it was the Taliban. Yeah, I mean, when you've upset the Taliban because of your, your abusive journalistic principles, you really have to look to yourself, you know. Yeah, they said attributing false statements to us violates the basic principles of journalism, which is just a fantastic statement. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Uh, particularly, that I'm, I'm, I must actually check at that time how much of the Afghan heroin trade the Taliban were in charge of. Well, it was a fairly substantial amount of it anyway. It just, it's got this sort of, we're not angry, we're just disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mum and dad are not angry with you, but they are very disappointed. You know, it's just we're going to so much trouble to control this heroin trade, and then you're just going to come out of it and say stuff like that without running it by us or giving us space for comment. That's just bad journalism. Very disappointing. We'd expected more from the Daily Beast. We really had. I mean, as well. <laughs> Let's face it. I mean, the title tells you what it is, but. And th- that aside, it's it's an interesting article. And I think it, it it would. And listen, if you want, I mean, the history of the treatment of uh, the the gay community in Cuba is not a new story. It's an old one, and it's not a nice one. The treatment of uh, back in the day of men with the HIV is a particularly gruesome one. But these things never seem to make any difference to the to the true believers. They either dismiss them as unimportant, or they're fictions set up by the CIA, or the kind of people that they got... If they did get the shitty end of the stick, well, then they were probably counter-revolutionaries anyway, and they deserved it. It is interesting. A lot of the left-wing media that I would have thought would be more strongly behind Cuba is kind of taking a bit of a hands-off approach. Even The Guardian is... I mean, I haven't looked at their opinion section, which is probably wall to wall. How dare these people stand against the Castros? But the news is being pretty, pretty straightforward. Like they're mentioning things like the American funding and that the American funding is massively anti-government. Mm-hmm. But they're also mentioning things like generational anger and concerns about supplies and things like that. And that young people are concerned that all of this talk of American sanctions is just an excuse from the government rather than an actual reason, that it's just designed to hide mismanagement. And that is quite interesting. I've been trying to read more of the kind of left-wing sources, 
because a lot of the right wing sources, like you can nearly hear in the tone they're using that they're already planning how they can reopen all the casinos in Havana. I have often wondered, actually, just as a, when they were opening the casinos in Havana under Batista in the 50s, and Cuba was really starting to boom as a tourist jet, as a tourist destination, I wondered, what would Cuba have looked like economically? What would the standard of living for the ordinary sort of poorer Cuban be today? if that had been left continue. Hong Kong. Do you think? I mean, maybe. Cuba is actually in many ways geographically quite similar to Hong Kong. I'm I'm primarily speaking here of its location right beside an incredibly powerful country, but not actually part of that legally a distinct entity. And that offers you a lot of opportunities, particularly if you're well managed for uh, trade, finances, things like that. Now, I would say there was, you'd have to say there's, there's some distinction to be made between Hong Kong, which was governed by Britain, and Cuba, which was being run by a mixture of Batista, who was a dictator and a kleptocrat, and his friends in the America Mafia. So, governance, there may have been different differences of governance. And if Batista or his mates had stayed in power, I'm sure they would have robbed as much as they could. But, you know, even if it kept just developing as a, a major tourist destination, even if he kept robbing and it robbed as much as he jolly well could, the chances, I still think the chances are that the, the wider standard of living in Cuba would have still managed to have gone forward at, at, a, at a rate that would have seen an economic uplift across the population, not just those involved in organised crime. I think the thing there, if you have these people, like Batista, they just want the most amount of money possible to them. So yes, you've got your crime. But as the country continues to develop and you see some of the potential in things like, you know, being a financial hub, mm -hmm. you might end up in that situation where the, the money laundering becomes, in fact, so lucrative that you just switch to being legit. Yeah, because just more money in it. There's just, just, just so much more money. What could have been, Michael? What could have been indeed, but still, one thing we can take out of it is that there still is there still is some loyalty in the world, that there are some friends that will stick by you and stay friends even in the tough times, and that's something, Gary, we should admire. I often wonder, like Ogre Sinn Fein, I imagine, are saying this because Ogre Sinn Fein are politically in that space, yeah, economically in that space, and into that sort of thing. But some of the Sinn Fein TDs I've seen talk about this. I kind of wonder, are they economically in this space? Or is this an anti-imperialism thing? Uh, they have to dance a particular kind of dance, don't they? It's, at least with their public statements. Because as you adverted to, I think, Gary, they do have a certain number of supporters in the United States who have been very helpful to the party. In, and you know what? I don't think that the, that particular part of Irish America is actually that far to the left that they're going to really appreciate lots of condemnations of the United States as this gross imperialist oppressor of the people of Cuba. You know, the, the usual kind of things that you expect from the economic policies of a, of, a, of a party which supports the kind of regime that you have in, in Cuba. I don't think that kind of message is the kind of message they really want their American supporters in Boston 
New York, Chicago, and Philadelphia to be associated with. So they have to they have to mind their P's and Q's when it comes to that a little bit. I think mostly the if to the extent yeah. I, but after that, I think there are other, there are others within the party that just probably look at the states and if if it's if it's against America, that meant it must be a good thing because America is the great imperialist of our age. Anyway, we shall see how things go in Cuba. If you were a Sinn Féin listener to the show and you know the answer to that question, please do send it to me by email at garyatgrip.ie. I'm legitimately interested to know. Legitimately. I'm sure you are. Anyway. <laughs> I, can, I can take interest in things. You can. You can, of course. We will be back on Friday. Until then, be safe. All the best. <laughs>